Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this beautiful outdoor service today. We've been looking forward to this. You know, a plan doesn't always come together, does it? But, but God's plan, I'm pretty sure, came together today no matter what. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit cold and rainy. I, I, I don't think it's raining right now, but obviously it had been a little bit of a mess trying to get out there and have a, a, a service today. You know, while the big thing didn't happen, we still have uh, a lot of moving parts today going on that we're in the plan. We are actually right now, our online service is not watching me. We did a, a special online service to kind of address being online and speak to them today. Our Midlothian campus is doing its own service today. So a lot of different things going on. Food trucks still here to get lunch today. And of course, parents sitting with their children right now. And I understand managing them outside is different from managing them in here. So I will promise you I will be done under 45 minutes uh, for my message today. I know we don't, I I actually, I want to say I'm going to be, I'm going to really be short today, but just that's a promise you know, I'm just going to let the spirit go with me where I, where I need to go. And, and we'll get there. But I, I think I'll be a good bit shorter than 45 minutes today. Hey, we uh, are, are celebrating, remembering Memorial Weekend this year. You know, obviously that's an annual day of remembrance. I, I don't know. Sometimes it seems to me like, boy, we really need this day. We need a Memorial Day in America this year because we, we need to remember the good that is America. And, and, and saying that doesn't mean we don't, we don't still have our challenges and failures of the past. We, we've got very current challenges with not always a real clear path to, to peace and unity. And that leads a lot of us, I think, thinking about the future and where our nation is going and, and what is happening. And so there's just, there's just a lot that leads to tension and angst when we think about our nation today. And that's why it's important to remember the good, the good that is America. Uh, you know, when you think historically, when you think about the nations around the world today, America still is very unique in the freedom that it has afforded its citizens, a freedom to live, a freedom to defend, a freedom to speak, uh, a freedom that I think even as believers, we don't always acknowledge and recognize how important it is to a nation, the freedom to worship God. You know, when the scripture tells us the most precious thing we have is our own lives, and, and when somebody lays that down, boy, we, we do well to remember that and acknowledge that. You know, we have a, a lot of freedoms. Man, they just took some ink and, and wrote it on a paper. But it was solidified in blood. It was solidified in, in, by, by over a million lives that through their life defended, protected, advanced, defined those freedoms. Now, there's all kinds of reasons to remember the good that is America. But maybe a, a top one is what we, what we remember tomorrow, and that's the lives that secured that freedom. And, you know, you think, how do you do that? Well, we remember. We have a day, right? And we try to respect and acknowledge that. I think maybe even more important than what we do in a moment or what we do in a day is that we make what they died for worth it. You know, and how we live responsibly and well with the freedoms that have been given us. You know, as I say that, that's a very Christian thought. 
I'm, I'm not saying you have to be a Christian to enjoy the freedoms in, in America or that only Christians enjoy that freedom. I'm saying the thought that, hey, somebody died for me, and that, that kind of demands a response. I mean, because we, we could actually say every Sunday is a Memorial Day, right? Every Sunday we gather to remember that a life was, was given, a life was given to secure my well-being. And praise the Lord, that life rose again, right? But, but we, we gather to remember that life and then to think how we live responsibly with what's been done for us. And that's, a, that's kind of a good segue as we're thinking about what Memorial Day is and how we do that tomorrow. That's, that segues well into thinking about how we live for the, the Christ who died for us. And we look at that in our passage today as we continue our series in 1 John. Turn there with me today. 1 John chapter 3 1 John chapter 3, just go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, and back up a few pages and you'll be in 1 John pretty quickly. 1 John chapter 3, I'm grateful for Rico filling in for me last week and not only filling in but uh, continuing uh, in our series in 1 John. So today we're picking up in verse 4, 1 John 3 verse 4. It says, everyone who makes a practice. Now, that word practice is going to be really important this morning. You might want to, want to circle that there in your Bible. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, that's Jesus, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Boy, that's an uncomfortable verse, isn't it? That that should leave all of us kind of thinking, wait a minute, what, what is this saying about me? Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident I think another important word. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. When I was last up here two weeks ago, we looked at 1 John 2 18 through 27, and if you were here, if you remember that, you remember that was the message I, I said at the end, you got you to gotta be smart for Jesus. There's, there's no glory for being a dum-dum for the Lord, right? And, and the whole point of saying that was, hey, hey listen, we've, we've got to get over the idea I'm not a good reader. We've, we've got to get over the idea that, that it doesn't take any effort to grow in the Lord or, or that it's just a few moments on a particular day of the week. Man, we're to study our faith. We're to grow. We're to grow in our understanding of the faith. We're to grow in our ability to explain the faith, our ability to defend the faith. We're to get smarter. We're to get smarter for Jesus. 
Now, if that's what 2, 18 and 27 was saying, then 3, 4 and following is saying, and don't leave your smartness in the classroom. Don't leave that in a book. You're to, you're to live, you're to practice that faith. You are to practice righteousness. So we have John challenging us to go out there and to be righteous. Now, this is a, uh, this is a little bit, can be considered by some a bit of a tricky passage. I am a firm believer, a strong believer in eternal security. Or some people might say, once saved, always saved. Uh, When I say I'm a a strong believer in that, for me, eternal security is not something Christians believe. It is a major thing that Christians believe. Now, when I say that, I make it sound like it's universal. That, that's, what, that's what all Christians believe, and it's, and it's not. There are churches, there are traditions in the Christian faith that believe you can be born again and unborn again, that you can be saved and then lose that salvation. I, I do not believe that. I'm ready to debate you at the food truck right after this if you want. I, I will, I'm ready. Let's go. Um, you know, there's a number of reasons. One of them is, in my opinion, the overwhelming evidence of the New Testament. There would be easily over 50 passages communicating, pointing to, implying the eternal security of a believer. That once I come to Christ, he's got me all the way into eternity. There are also a handful of passages that, and I don't know what quite the right word to use here is, I'll say a casual reading, kind of like what I just did. We just read a passage and we set it down. That at a casual reading, it might sound like somebody's losing their salvation. When I say a handful, specifically, there's about 10 to 15 passages in the New Testament that you go, wait a minute, what? What is that saying? And many would put this passage that we just read into that category that says, hey, listen, you, you can be born of God and you keep on sinning and, and you're not born of God. You're, you're, you were and, and you're unborn. <laughs> you're, you're no longer safe. I do not think that's what this passage is communicating. As a matter of fact, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. I don't even think that this passage is that difficult. We just got to slow down and remember what we've learned and see what we're reading. What have we learned already in First John? And what are we reading? And I'm going to talk about, you're going to get really excited, a verb tense in just a moment, okay? Let's talk about what we've already heard. Now, you could read through this, and it seems to say, hey, you call yourself a believer, you believe you're a believer, but you've kept on sinning. That ought to be scary, because I'm guessing many of us in here do profess to be followers of Christ, Right? And I'm guessing almost all of us who profess to be followers of Christ have kept on sinning. There, there has continued to be sin in our lives. And this would be, wait a minute, so am I, am I saved or am I not saved? I, am I faking it? Am I not really a believer? What, what's happening? Is the presence of sin a challenge to my being a follower of Christ? Let's think about what we've already heard John say. In chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, he says, confess your sins. Why would he be telling me to confess my sins unless he's implying that as a follower of Christ, there will be those sins in my life that I need to confess? So clearly, the, the, the presence of a sin 
by itself does not mean I'm not a believer. I've, hey, if this is here, here's an action you need to take. You need to confess. And you know what? If we do love the Lord, it is discouraging when we sin, isn't it? We, we get down on ourselves. I think, golly, I can't beat this. I can't stop that. Or, you know, I just, I, I can't believe I, 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 I've over here, I've enjoyed the goodness of God and the blessings of God. And look how quickly I can go right back and, and turn to sin. When we think that of ourselves, it can be very discouraging. And when we're discouraged, we can be demotivated to even trying, right? And that's where John comes in chapter 2 and he says, when, not, not if, when you sin, don't quit. Don't quit following Christ. You have an advocate. You have somebody in your corner. You have somebody that will speak to you. You will have somebody that will still say, he belongs to me. And you know who that somebody is, right? Jesus. Jesus is our advocate. So I look at what John's already taught in chapter 1, what he's already taught in chapter 2, and I can come to the conclusion clearly here in chapter 3, he's not saying the presence of sin means you're not born of God. Okay, so that's what it's not saying. But what is it saying? Well, the the key word I said, my translation uses the word practice. Yours may use a, a, a little bit of a different word there. It also talks about keeping on. The verb tense here is a present active participle. Be sure and write that down. It'll change your life. A present active participle. Now, what is a present active participle? It is how we understand this passage. A present active participle is a verb that is communicating a continuous ongoing action. It would be used for actions that are habits. Another thing a present active participle communicates is, and this to me is an important word, persistence. You, When you are persisting in an action, in an activity, what, what does persisting mean? It means I'm not quitting. I, I am I, listen, this isn't an accident. I am, I am on purpose doing this, and I am on purpose going to keep doing this. So when, when Paul, or excuse me, John here is talking about sinning, keeping on sinning, he's not talking about an individual event. He's not talking about a moment that you, you failed and you sinned. He's not talking about falling into temptation. These are not singular events. This is a lifestyle being referred to here. There is a lifestyle of persisting in sin. There's no way a person can be a believer and persist in sin. That, that is a contradiction to, to who Christ is, to what Christ is. Look there in verse 5. In him, there's no sin at all. Sin does not characterize who Christ is. It's not saying there's not many sins in Jesus. It's not saying there's only small, doesn't even really matter sins in Jesus. There's no sin, no sin ever, not a single sin in Jesus. Nothing about the character of sin is in the character of Christ. So if my life is characterized by sin, I am persisting in sin, then I'm not in relationship 
with Christ. That would be a contradiction to who he is. It's not just a contradiction to who he is, but it's a contradiction to what he's about. What did he come here to do? To take away sins. What did he come here to do? To destroy the works of the devil. So when I'm persisting in sin, when I'm coming alongside Satan, and I'm being a promoter and an encourager of his ways of doing things in the world, my life is now a contradiction to what Christ is about. You cannot be a contradiction to who Christ is, to what Christ is. That can't be your character and your lifestyle. And then you say, I've been born of God. The person being addressed here is not losing their born-again status. They were never born again to begin with. Now, why is John telling that to you and me? We, this letter is to believers. It's to the church. So why, why is he writing you and me and talking about this person? Well, he says there, I don't want you to be deceived. You know, you know my guess is every one of us, I'd like to think it was earlier in our faith, but every one of us has sinned, and we use this as an explanation or a reason. Well, they do it, right? I mean, it must be okay. It must be okay to value this, to think this way. It must be okay to do this. It must be okay to talk like this, to say this, because they do it. John knows how how easily we follow others. We love to think we're so individual. We do our own thing. We march to a different drummer. No, you don't. You copy someone, something all the time. And what John is concerned about is, is you and I hear the word Jesus or we hear the word church and boy, our guard comes down, right? Because we may be here in the room with us right now. Certainly at work or school, we've got friends, we've got people who say, oh, I had this experience with Christ, or, or I go to this church, and, and we hear the word church, and boom, and then the guard comes down, and now I can, you know, we're one and the same, and I, I can be like you. And John's saying, no, you can't be like that person. They're not born of God. They're a, they're a contradiction. Look at their life. Listen to their values. Listen to their words. Watch their actions. Their persisting in sin. That's their lifestyle. Now, is John calling you, you and I to, to be a judge of other people? No. We're not, we're not going, you're, you're saved. Oof, you're not. You're really not. You are, I think. Well, no, maybe not so much. But you and you and you. Yeah, no, that's not what this is about. It's, this is about what goes on inside me as I relate with people around me. And yes, even people in church, even people who say, I know Jesus, I am to look at the lifestyle. Is this a person that is practicing righteousness? Or or is this a person practicing the works of the devil? You and I might be saying, I'm not sure I can tell. You know, Jesus seems to say it's pretty easy. It's like looking at fruit on a tree. Actually, what he says in Luke 6, 44 is, you know a person You know a tree by its fruit. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you're never getting figs off a thorn bush. You're never getting grapes off a bramble bush. I don't even know what a bramble bush is, but I know now from Jesus you're not getting grapes off them. 
I don't know so much about figs and grapes, but I do know this. You can't walk into an apple orchard looking for peaches, right? Apple trees make apples. Peach trees make peaches. A life of righteousness produces a lifestyle of righteousness. A life of sin produces the fruit, produces the activities, the words, the values of sin. It's just that simple. Folks, you and I are to be cognizant of what's going on around us. We don't just let the guard come down because we hear the word Jesus in church. What John is dealing with is a church that is becoming weak and absolutely irrelevant in its culture because people not really born of God have come in and the believers are following the people not born of God. He says, hey man, look around you. It's It's evident. Now, as we think about others, what about us? What if we look at ourselves? I mean, can somebody look at me and say, well, they do it? That's, that's almost really a whole nother sermon. <laughs> but boy, I hope that would weigh heavy on every one of our hearts. Just as we always follow something or someone, folks, there's people all around you taking cues from your life. He said, nobody's watching me. Nobody even knows I'm a Christian. Ah, bingo, we got a problem. Everybody, everybody you know should know that you're a follower of Christ. And because they know that, they should see every day, not a perfect person, but what it looks like as an imperfect person to follow Christ. If we were to look, and I won't say, a lot of times I'll say, let's look back over the last week. I'm not going to say that today because that really is not what 1 John 3 is talking about. See, if I said, hey, look back over the last week, what, what, what was the fruit in your life? And you know what you and I would tend to do in such a short time span? We'd look to one good thing or one bad thing. I'd look to one good thing I did that, oh, I'm righteous, I'm good to go. Or, oh, I don't know if I'm a believer. It's not about looking at one act. It's about looking at the evidence of your whole life this past week, this past month. What's the, <laughs> what's the fruit hanging off of you? Are you a child of the devil or a child of God? Boy, how many times has John done that to us now? He keeps giving these stark dichotomies, light and dark, sin and righteousness, child of the devil, child of God. You know, it's, hey, it's one of these two. And I think a lot of us end up going, ah, is there a a third option? Is Is there something there in the middle? But he doesn't give that option. I Hey, when you stand before him, ask, hey, where was the third option? You can ask him. I don't have an answer for you. He seems to say, as you and I look back, not just over the week, but back over May, back over how 2021 is unfolding, as I look back, what is the, what's happening in my life? What's the fruit? And again, I feel like a lot of us, well, you know, I, I don't know. Verse 10. Verse 10. It is evident Why are we saying that it's not evident? It's not clear. I'm not sure. It's evident. 
It's absolutely evident that your life is producing the fruit of a child of Satan or the fruit of a child of God. What's your life producing? And it's discouraging and challenging to look back. Let's look forward, okay? That's more hopeful. Let, 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 let's look forward and let's say, hey, you know what? Okay, I, I got this. I hear what God is telling me now. It, it needs to be evident. It needs to be clear. I want it to be clear that I am living a life that practices righteousness. So here's what we're going to do this week. Here's what we're going to do to kick off June in the summer. We're going to practice righteousness. Amen? Okay, good. Sounds like all agreement. Let's go home. You know, wait, 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 time out. Not, wait a minute, that's not right. See, the only problem with saying we're all going to practice righteousness is most of us are going, yeah, I, I, what's, what's that mean? What, what do I do? What, what does that look like? It's kind of a vague concept, I think, probably for a lot of us. You know, I, I think here's a way to make it really clear for you to look at your life and evaluate every single week whether you practice righteousness or not is break your life up and into its pieces. So go home, get a, get a piece of paper. Remember two weeks ago, we're going to study. We're fine with giving effort and time because that's what it's supposed to be. We're going to get a piece of paper and just start writing the, the pieces of your life. So if you're single, write single. If you're married, write married. If you're a parent, write children. If you're a child, write parents. Write money, entertainment, decisions, friends. I don't know. Write down at least eight or nine areas of your life. And then look at those eight or nine areas on the piece of paper there and say, what does it look like to practice righteousness in that area? What does it look like to practice righteousness with my money? What does it look like to practice righteousness in my decisions, in my marriage? And then just one, two, three, handful of just bullet points, just some ideas. And you say, "Uh, I'm not sure what I would I'm not sure what I would write. Well, you, you do two things then. Number one, pray, right? Hey, God, would you open my mind? Would you open my heart? Help me to understand what practicing righteousness in my marriage would mean, what it would look like. Practicing righteousness in my decisions. I don't, what does that mean, Lord? What would I be doing to practice righteousness in my decisions? And, and, and then after you start praying that, then do Google. Hey, we Google a lot of things. How about something, I don't know, righteous? How about this? Just Google God and my money, God and my marriage, or, or, or the Bible, the, the Bible and my relationships, the Bible and my decisions. Just Google that. I promise you, in a matter of seconds, you're going to be able to read a handful of verses and you'll know, oh, okay, so I probably need to be trying to do this, or I probably need to not be doing this. or and, and then with those verses, jot down those two, three ideas. Now, if you've got eight or nine areas, two, three ideas, that's a lot to do. I, most of us, the bigger the mountain gets, the more we don't take the first step, right? So look at everything you've got on that paper. This will probably take you, I mean, if, if you're really trying, it might take 30, 45 minutes. But look at everything you've got on that paper, And then just think about where you are in life right now. Think about the month out in front of you. And I would say pick at least three, maybe like five or seven things off that whole list and let those become the focus of how you're going to practice righteousness in June.
Hey, maybe we're working so hard and we're so busy practicing righteousness, we won't have time to practice sin, right? It's a thought. Let's, let's give it a shot there. Let's practice righteousness. When we say that, folks, you've got to have some ideas of what you're going home to do. You've got to have some ideas of what you're going to work to do or going to school. If you don't have any ideas, then you're not going to practice it. We, we, we want to practice righteousness. Now, you know, a lot of us have gone to practice. As a matter of fact, I would say probably almost every one of them. We've been band practice, dance practice, piano practice, football, baseball, basketball, track practice. We've gone to practice our whole lives, right? And you come home from practice, and, and somebody in the house says, how was practice? How was practice today? And sooner or later, you're going to say, oh, I had a bad practice. And, and there's a I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we could have had a bad practice, right? You know what? When you, when you step out to practice righteousness, you're going to have a bad practice one day. Chapter 1, what do I do when I've had a bad practice? Man, just confess that to the Lord. You already have his forgiveness. But it's so discouraging. That's like two or three bad practices in a row. First John chapter 2, God's got you. You have an advocate. You, you have a coach that's not just going to put you on the bench. You have a coach that believes in you, that is going to keep speaking for you even after these bad practices in a row. But I love how, how tight First John is. Every single verse speaks to the other verse. They're all connected together, working together for our lives. Telling you and me, hey, let's get out here this week. June is going to be about practicing righteousness. Amen? Do you know that Jesus Christ died so you could be righteous? Folks, we're not going into this week, into this month, trying to earn salvation, trying to earn. Righteousness means right standing with God. I'm not going out there this week to try to earn right standing with God. Jesus already won for me right standing with God. What I'm going out there to do this week is practice what Jesus won for me. Because Jesus died for me, I can practice righteousness. Because over a million American soldiers died for me. I can practice that in freedom. With no threat of being jailed. Do you have any places in the world, if you practice being like Christ, it can result in very severe consequences? And aren't you glad to live in a nation where we can go out and practice righteousness this week? I don't have to worry about that. Amen? So let's practice. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today thankful for the freedom to gather. Thankful for the freedom to worship. Oh God, may we be good stewards, good managers of that freedom, managers of that opportunity. Lord, I I pray you would motivate each of us. You would help each of us to to do the hard work of studying and learning and growing. This week, to to study, to read, to understand what practicing righteousness looks like in all the various areas of my life. I pray you'd guide me. I pray you'd guide each of us to find those three, five, seven things that right now at this exact place in our life, what we need to be focused on practicing. And God, as I step out there to practice, I'm... I'm grateful that I already have your forgiveness. 
I'm, I'm grateful, Jesus, that whether I have a good practice or a bad practice, you're my advocate. You stand by my side and you speak for me. Oh, I thank you for that, that knowledge, that opportunity to know that. May it, may it motivate me, may it motivate us to get out there and really practice righteousness this week. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.